Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. This is the Asian Madness Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things true crime, morbid, mysterious, and odd from the Asian continent. I am your host, Jessica. Hi friends, welcome to episode 101 of the Asian Madness podcast. feel like I'm starting the podcast from scratch, because my next milestone is probably episode 200, and that's going to take forever. Anyway, great to have you guys back, and if you're new, welcome. I hope you're all taking good care of yourselves and not out there being mean to other people, because that's kind of terrible. So today's episode is a request from someone we all know of. As in, me. Yes, I requested this episode to myself years ago, but never got around to it. I found this topic rather fascinating and mysterious, and I never took proper time to look into it. Also, it's pretty complicated. I feel like some of you may know of this, or maybe have heard of it in some way or another, but maybe not enough to know the controversies surrounding this topic. Let's talk a bit about religion and spirituality. Some feel like all religion is BS. Some think their God is almighty. Then there are those that are in between. You might feel like there's a higher power out there, something bigger than us, but you don't really know what it is. All valid. Either way, many of us have the privilege of either wanting to be religious or wanting to not associate with it. As in, it's our choice. In fact, Some countries out there have so much religious freedom where sketchy groups can form and operate with no issue. The specific group of people we're going to discuss today, though, is not really what you would associate with the word religion or cult. They're not the extremists that come to mind, like Jim Jones or Asahara Shoko. In some ways, this group seems pretty simple, even peaceful. But in some other ways, mainly due to oppression and rumors, They give off a rather mysterious, culty aura. Are they good? Are they bad? Are they legit? I can't decide. Maybe you can help me. This is the group known as Falun Gong, or Falun Dafa, and when translated, it means something like Dharma Chakra practice, Dharma Chakra being the wheel of law in Buddhism. This is a spiritual group that has firm roots in Buddhism, and perhaps Taoism. Whoa, but that doesn't really sound sketchy at all, Jessica. What are you talking about? Well, keep listening and you will see why. Let's begin. Clearly, this isn't going to be a whodunit kind of case, but more of a situation involving a group that is considered spiritual to some, but also a threat and a cult to some others. Let's start from the beginning. How did this new religious-slash-spiritual movement even come about? 
It's not one of those old religions like, say, Christianity or Islam, but actually it's quite recent. It all started with a man named Li Hongzhi, whom we will simply refer to as Li going forward. Li has two birthdays. One is his official documented birthday, July 7, 1952, and his spiritual birthday, May 13, 1951. But why is May 13 his spiritual birthday? Why does he even have one? What's the significance? Well, that also happens to be Buddha's birthday, but Li would vehemently deny that he thinks he's Buddha. Happy coincidences, I guess. Anyway, he was born in Jilin province, a northeastern province in the People's Republic of China. There seems to be quite a bit of contradicting information regarding his upbringing, mainly because prior to starting this movement, he was generally just your ordinary citizen, so there's not much documented. At the age of three, he and his parents moved from his birthplace, Gongzuling City, to Changchun City, which is really just a neighboring city within the same province. He spent most of his childhood there, going through elementary and junior high school. During the 1970s, he joined the People's Liberation Army, which began his career in the CCP in a sense. The People's Liberation Army, or the PLA, is in short the main military force in China, or more specifically, the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. It's probably a stable job, and it was an easy decision if you love your country. From the early 80s to the early 90s, he was transferred to Changchun City's oil and grain company, working in the security section. Not sure what this entails, but we can make an educated guess based on its name. So thus far, this sounds rather normal, almost boring. Just a regular person's upbringing. So here's when things start to pick up. Around the late 80s and early 90s, Li began to get into the whole world of Qigong. What exactly is Qigong? When translated, it generally means breath skill or a type of breathing practice. Is it a type of martial art? Depends on who you ask. Its roots and teachings do have heavy ties to Buddhism, Taoism, or maybe Confucianism. It's generally regarded more as a type of exercise that focuses on your breathing and your movements. Kind of like meditation, except instead of sitting, you do slow movements. Imagine you're strolling through a park early one morning and you see a bunch of older Asian people doing some kind of slow movement exercise in sync. That could very well be Qigong or Tai Chi. Qigong was all the hype in China during those few decades, starting from the 1950s. It was accessible, it was simple enough for beginners, and it did not cost an arm and a leg. For people who lack patience or balance, this can be a very frustrating form of exercise. But generally speaking, the practice is aimed to improve your mental health and physical health via slow movements and breathing techniques. It's also known as a form of cultivation exercise, where one seeks quote-unquote spiritual perfection, whatever that means to you. This is nothing new as these cultivation exercises have been around China for thousands of years. Does it work? Maybe. It's been around forever and I really can't find any issues with it. Some people like running marathons, some people like boxing, and there are some who like slow things like qigong or tai chi. Remember though, 
Communist China is anti-religion. No temples or churches, no gods, no goddesses. Qigong was not considered a religion, simply an old form of exercise to keep your mental and physical health in check. And considering how many people were practicing it, they made the distinction clear that it was an old form of Chinese culture rather than a type of religion. Anyway, Li basically became obsessed, and in May of 1992, Li set up his first ever seminar in Changchun City. Clearly, he was very devoted and very successful, because in no time, his practice began to spread far and wide in China. And he became a very busy man going from province to province to share his knowledge. This would mark the birth of a new spiritual-slash-exercise movement, Faluan Gong, or Faluan Dafa. Li attended various panels and seminars in the early 90s, receiving awards and credentials, spreading the word of Faluan Gong, gaining thousands of followers. The general public praised him. The CCP even loved him. Li seemed to be giving back to society, and his giving back was not just for the rich and powerful. He helped people from all classes, like farmers, soldiers, office workers, and even the police and CCP officials. This guy was popular and well-liked. His first book on Falun Gong was published in 1993, and it was an instant bestseller. He worked closely with the CCP. He traveled overseas to Europe and to the U.S. to spread the word and teach others the art of Falun Gong. People loved it. He received awards for his contribution to humanity, and for whatever reason, he ended up immigrating to New York in the year 1998. Maybe he wanted to establish a bigger presence in the U.S., as Falun Gong was already going strong in China. He probably was confident things were only going to get better. But, of course, he would be quite wrong. What I'm about to tell you is not verified, but could very well be exaggerated. Maybe it's the CCP trying to make him sound delusional, which would help discredit him. But since his fame as the movement's leader, background info on his childhood suddenly surfaced. But there's always two sides or more to a story. One paints him out to be almost superhuman. Another version shows him as a fraud. And then there's a more of a middle ground, regular version that seems more believable, which is the version I already talked about. As for the version where he's basically not human, here goes. When Lee was around four years old, he was blessed with great powers from a monk, a 10th generation Buddhist monk. As the years went by, he began mastering multiple abilities, including handling very heavy objects, mind control, and invisibility. At the age of 12, a Taoist monk appeared before him and bestowed upon him more knowledge and power, including all sorts of martial arts. In the next couple decades, he learned from more than 20 Buddhist and Taoist monks, who all passed immense knowledge and power onto him, including the power to understand the universe, see the past, and predict the future. It's not an easy task, as he underwent rigorous training and deprivation to reach this level. He never claimed to be immortal, but it was implied that he was amongst gods. Well, what are your thoughts so far? If you want to keep an open mind, I'm all for it. But if you can't bring yourself to believe this, you're not alone. As for those who see him as a fraud, 
It's basically an extension of him being superhuman. If you believe that superhuman version, great. If not, keep listening. As soon as information about his so-called grand past began to pop up, these old classmates, teachers, neighbors, you name it, all were like, who is this? Almost everyone who allegedly knew him claimed that he was an ordinary child with ordinary grades and an ordinary school performance. Not to say he had no skills, though. He was supposedly a great trumpet player, which is very random. As for all his achievements and being the sole heir to multiple skills, they all called horseshit. No one from his childhood years had ever seen or heard of him being involved with Buddhist or Taoist monks, let alone inherit their skills. Well, what if he did it? Well, what if he did it in private? I mean, maybe. He must be extraordinarily gifted and special to have all these monks seek him out then. As for his young adult life, his pals at the People's Liberation Army also claimed that he was just an average dude. He was introverted but quite conceited, and as a PLA officer, he was busy all the time. He had many duties under the CCP. His friends basically had a difficult time imagining he would even have time to be an apprentice to all these monks. Well, sure, these people were not with him 24-7. They probably don't know what he did during his downtime. So, again, it's a he-said-she-said situation. Now we have his mother, who I believe should be considered rather credible, if true. She herself claimed that Lee is lying and making things up. She told people not to believe him, adding that she watched this kid grow up, and he never took up martial arts as a child and he is definitely no legendary being. So those are the three versions I have for you. The regular guy who grew up interested in Qigong and created Falun Gong, the guy who is basically a god, or the guy who tried to pretend he's a god. You can form your own opinion. So let's put Lee and Falun Gong aside for a minute here. Think about all the cults you've heard of, or at least those that are recognized as cults like Jim Jones' People's Temple, David Koresh and its Branch Davidians, or Asahara Shoko's Am Shinikyo. What do lots of these cult leaders have in common? They can be described as dynamic, charismatic, and very persuasive. These people may not necessarily make a lot of sense, but the way they can convince you to go against your beliefs, to join them, to sacrifice yourself, is above and beyond. These people have to have some sort of charisma, extreme confidence, but not to the point where they may come off arrogant, because that's a turnoff. These aren't traits that you can just pick up and master. Even though Falun Gong is not like any of these cults I mentioned, I do believe Lee had a type of charm. Like many leaders, he started his movement not by saying how wonderful and skilled he was, but by displaying himself as the embodiment of good even otherworldly, to some people. He preached three main things, which are also the three tenets of Falun Gong. Truthfulness, compassion, and forbearance. Sounds like a good thing, right? We want people to be kind, to have compassion, to live in truth. It helped tremendously that Qigong was still very popular in the 90s, and in comparison, Falun Gong was even easier and more accessible to the public. Healthcare was not very advanced back then in China, 
People were stressed, and mental health was not widely recognized. Regular people needed to find ways to take care of their health, and Falun Gong just seemed to fit their needs. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. If you enjoy it and it's not hurting others, what is the problem? Like I mentioned, the Chinese government was extremely supportive of its citizens practicing Qigong and such, at first. This continued on even as Falun Gong came about and began to grow in numbers. What's the point of a government if you don't have healthy citizens? So of course, the government generally approved of this method of exercise and meditation. Even government officials would belong to Falun Gong as well. But as more and more people began to join these groups and began practicing, this in turn soured the views of the CCP, especially the then chairman Jiang. Why? Well, you have power in numbers, and in a sense, they felt like this growing movement became a threat to the government, especially the chairman's position. Maybe for us, we can't really see the threat because one is a government, and one is a peaceful spiritual group. So, beginning in the mid 1990s, the CCP began to crack down and restrict these groups. First, it was restricting propaganda in favor of Falun Gong, and in turn, some CCP-controlled media companies began to publish anti-Falun Gong articles in an attempt to drive people away and control the narrative. You can absolutely imagine why, as a communist country where the government is the one and only. There is no room for another group to surpass them. They cannot be outnumbered. What if they decided to rebel? That was not something the government wanted to face. But of course, the government would never admit that this was the reason that they were uncomfortable with Falun Gong, because it gives off insecure vibes. They insisted that this group was starting to do more harm than good, and being an atheist nation, Falun Gong was starting to reshape and brainwash society. Which is borderline religion. This method of control continued on until April of 1999, where one rather significant incident happened. Around 10,000 Falun Gong members marched the streets of Beijing, protesting the government's oppression and defamation of their groups. Surprisingly, this protest did not end up like the whole Tiananmen Square incident. It actually ended peacefully. But not long after. Chairman Jiang gave out strict orders for every Chinese province to set up special departments to ban and restrict any Falun Gong activities. This was when Falun Gong was officially labeled as an illegal cult, which makes you wonder what falls under the term "legal cult." It wasn't just Falun Gong that got shut down, though, because in order to make sure no one gets the wrong idea, the CCP began to crack down and arrest anyone involved. In any type of religion, as many of you know, I moved to the U.S. in 2021, and while it wasn't hard getting the hang of things, the whole credit score situation really tripped me up. I'm not a fan of this system, but it's something I have to live with and deal with. So why not try to get ahead of the game? If you live in the U.S., then you know what it's like and how important having a good credit score can be. It can impact any of your future and current financial goals. So why not try to get this under control? One easy way to get your finances under control and spend a little extra money without worry this summer is by joining Chime. 
Chime is a financial technology company that can help manage money you already have and also help build your credit score over time. With Chime, there's no monthly fees, no minimum balance, and no deposit needed to become a member. Once you're signed up and link a qualifying direct deposit, you get benefits like getting paid two days earlier and overdraft of up to $200 without any fees using SpotMe. It's also super easy to pay others and get paid through Chime, regardless of what bank they're with. Your credit score is a big deal, so build yours up with Chime. Just open a Chime checking account with a $200 plus qualified direct deposit to get started. Get started at Chime.com Asian. That's Chime.com Asian. The Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card is issued by Stride Bank, North America, member FDIC. Chime checking account and $200 qualifying direct deposit required to apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. On-time payment history may have a positive impact on your credit score. Late payment may negatively impact your credit score. Results may vary. How many of you wonder every single month, Hmm, I wonder where my money went this month. What did I even buy? How did I spend so much? Or perhaps you've wondered if your money is going to some subscription you forgot you even had. Well, you're obviously not alone. It's a first world type of problem, as we're constantly bombarded with a million streaming services like Netflix, Prime, Spotify, recurring purchases, and all that other fun stuff. It makes sense. We love new things. Sometimes we forget that we subscribe to them in the heat of the moment. But other times, websites make it nearly impossible to cancel. Rocket Money can make your life easier and also help you see the big picture. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bill all in one place. They will do the searching for you, and if you find something that you don't want, just cancel. They'll do it for you. I know I've spotted a couple subscriptions I didn't want anymore. Nothing extravagant, but considering how expensive everything is today, saving any little bit counts. Best of all, it's a great app to keep track of your spending. It manages all your spendings in one place and categorizes your expenses, which in turn helps you budget your money so you can use it wisely. Over 3 million people have tried Rocket Money to help track and save money, and it really helps. Stop throwing your money away, cancel unwanted subscriptions, and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com madness. That's rocketmoney.com madness. rocketmoney.com madness. So now that this order had been sent out, all government officials involved began to enforce and filtering and blocking of all Falun Gong-related information, whether online, hard copy materials, publications, etc. This also meant anyone discussing, practicing, or following Falun Gong would face detainment, prison time, or worse, would be sent to re-education and labor camps. We briefly touched on the concept of re-education camps in my episode on North Korea, where citizens who had incorrect thoughts and ideologies would be sent to camps where they were basically tortured till they began to follow the rules of the government. Not just that, but according to foreign media and articles published by various human rights groups, it was said that 
tens and thousands of Falun Gong followers were arrested following the ban, and more than 2,000 had been executed for their quote-unquote crimes. If you know anything about Falun Gong, you may also have heard of allegations of organ harvesting. Falun Gong followers aren't the only ones who are said to be victims of this, though, because you've probably heard of the Uyghur Muslims getting the same treatment. Of course, the government denies any accusation of crimes against humanity, stating that all organ donations in China, quote, must be voluntary and without payment, unquote. There was this whole panel about ending organ transplant abuse in China, and after thorough examination, the panel found irrefutable proof that organ harvesting was and is still taking place, quote, on a substantial scale by state-supported or approved organizations and individuals, unquote. Many former prisoners have also spoken up, mentioning where they had taken multiple blood tests, gotten physical exams, which to me almost sounds like they wanted to make sure your organs could be a match to a potential recipient. Or maybe I'm overthinking this. After Falun Gong was banned in 1999, members continued to protest the government, desperately hoping to turn the narrative around and to show the public that they were not a threat. It did work for a while, but the continuous protest which eventually turned violent and even took some lives did not work in their favor. Regular citizens who are not part of the government or Falun Gong began to criticize and see them as a nuisance, as an extremist group. I can completely fault those who live in an information-censored world. If you've ever been to China, you will know that you cannot access sites like Google, Facebook, Instagram, that kind of stuff. They have their own forms of social media such as Weibo, their own chat messengers like WeChat and QQ, and their own search engines like Baidu. It's like a complete separate world where Western influence cannot get to you online. Unless you use a VPN, which I know for a fact many people use. If used though, it's not necessarily used to rebel against the government or look up banned information. Many use it to keep up with the world, with friends, work, normal day-to-day stuff. So knowing this, there are many things you cannot search for online in China. And if you do get results, you only get the filtered version that favors the CCP. For example, is Taiwan a country? China search engines will tell you absolutely yes, whereas Google might give you different answers. So what can the members of Falun Gong do to state their case? They did not disband, because sometimes the more you're told no, the more you want to fight against it. Many members began to secretly gather and host secret meetings, sometimes inviting outsiders, explaining their group and their beliefs. They kind of resemble secret Mormons, where they would produce brochures about Falun Gong, distribute them door-to-door, and preach to people, for lack of better terms. Regardless of how sneaky they thought they were, they would continue to get persecuted and arrested. And you know what happens to those who get arrested. During the early 2000s, Falun Gong activities in China basically began to disappear. You could hardly find any trace of its members. Did they just leave this for good? Some, of course, just learned to hide it better. Others, though, began to spread the word of Falun Gong overseas. 
Falun Gong had already began making its way around the world even before they were banned, but the complete oppression from the government only ended up fueling its growth overseas. Many members who felt threatened in China immigrated overseas. Maybe that's why Li left in 1998. People that ended up leaving China did not just ditch their belief system and start a new life. They began to grow in numbers and made it their mission to fight back against China's oppression, but from a safe distance. Believe it or not, there are around a hundred countries worldwide that have Falun Gong offices, in every single continent except Antarctica, because of their growth. They've also managed to set up their own media channels. While most of their content is denouncing and exposing the CCP for their crimes against humanities, lots of its content is also used to justify Falun Gong and their activities. Falun Gong members basically continued doing what they couldn't do back in China. They continued practicing. They passed around brochures to anyone willing to give them a chance. They put up all sorts of signs and billboards denouncing the oppression Falun Gong has faced over the years, and in many places you can find them gathering in plazas using megaphones to tell anyone who's willing to listen. For example, in Taiwan, I've seen Falun Gong groups sitting outside the famous 101 Building, which is a commercial business building, and also one of the tallest buildings in the world. They have signs with very graphic images showing how the CCP treats their fellow Falun Gong members. I remember seeing these groups multiple times, and although I was intrigued, I never stopped to talk to them, which I kind of regret now. It's part anxiety because I'm not educated enough on this topic, and also I was worried about being recruited, and I am terrible at saying no. But if I were to see them again, I think it'd be easier to stop and chat with them. It's also very common for Falun Gong members to plan events around CCP officials touring other countries. Like in one incident, CCP government officials arrived in Washington D.C. for a conference. Falun Gong members wasted no time and immediately gathered outside the hotel they were staying at to protest. It's kind of fascinating because the Chinese officials must be really irked and embarrassed, but these people are in the U.S. practicing their freedom and rights and whatever. They cannot stop them. As you can imagine, foreign countries have very mixed views on what exactly Falun Gong is and how they feel about this group. Some view it as a modern religious movement, while some others see it only as a cultural movement. Some countries have criticized China and their methods, even allowing Chinese Falun Gong members to seek asylum in their countries. While I would like to think most countries would want to be kind and help those being persecuted, sometimes it goes against their political motives and diplomatic relationships. I would assume many countries out there rely heavily on China's aid and business, and they would prefer to stay silent on this matter. It's not great, but also I can imagine why they don't want to take sides. It's not a simple matter of personal opinion, because. If a president from a country criticizes China and they get cut off, what happens to their economy and their citizens? They will be the ones that end up suffering and paying for this, which in turn will affect whether or not this politician stays in power. It's not entirely black or white. It's a difficult and dicey situation to be in. Then there are others who find Falun Gong a bit concerning. 
not that they are in favor of killing and arresting every member, but they are skeptical of the motivation of this group, because in their opinion, some of their methods come off a bit on the extreme end. I don't know, this is a really subjective matter. How do you decide when an oppressed group is being too loud or too aggressive about their persecution and rights? And if they continue to face the same threats from the same enemy, can their protests ever be too loud? The founder of Falun Gong, Li, was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize several times. He was the poster boy for freedom and free thinking in China. Both him and his movement received more than 300 different awards from all around the world. Li was named the most influential person in Asia in 2001. What exactly is Falun Gong? Like I said, very subjective. But here's a short excerpt from their website, so at least this is how they view themselves. Quote, Falun Gong is a spiritual practice that millions around the world have made a part of their lives. Rooted in Buddhist tradition, it consists of two main components, self-improvement through the study of teachings and gentle exercises and meditation. Unquote. So, in a way, we know this is rooted in Buddhism, perhaps even Taoism. That alone can carry some religious color, but that's also not super definitive. Most religions tell people to be good and be kind, so without understanding and reading all their books, it's difficult to say. Their teachings and materials, though, mostly consist of books written by Li, which does give off a culty vibe as they treat his words and teachings, like the word of... God. That's not to say Lee isn't intelligent or doesn't know what he's talking about, but when a whole group of people quote and follow the rules of one writer, who also happens to be the founder of the group, doesn't that sound religious? I mean, there's the Bible and the Quran. Very religious people will use religious texts in all areas of their lives and justify their beliefs and decisions. Although I don't think Falun Gong falls in the same category as other religions, their leader, Li, has touched on the religious side a few times, especially in recent years. For example, earlier this year, on January 20th, Li presented his understanding and findings on the Bible via an article titled, Why Do Humans Exist? Talking about the existence of humans and how we have all forgotten that we do, in fact, come from an omnipotent higher power. He also mentioned that because humans have forgotten their origin and their duty, the world has gone to shit. We need to be good, be kind, be better, earn metaphorical merit points in order to have a better afterlife, which could be incarnation. I'm just paraphrasing. His writing was more eloquent, and it was also in Chinese. Apparently, he was very convincing to others, because some have begun referring to him as the Messiah, the one who will save us all. So in a sense, maybe the CCP was right from the start, as Falun Gong kind of did evolve into a more religious stance, where the leader is now being viewed as the next savior of mankind. Not saying that Lee said this word for word, but many of his followers have begun to think this way. Obviously, I don't condone what the CCP has done to the followers, but it's kind of interesting to see how everything played out. It's also said that Li has powers beyond our understanding, as in he can do healings and cleansing of people's bodies and souls. 
I don't know if I believe that, because it sounds quite impossible. I think claiming to have these powers is what makes someone lean into the cult side of religion. Some other sources state that Lee considers himself the Buddha of the universe, and that those who follow his path and practice his methods are safe from harm. I hate saying something is 100% impossible, but I just don't think this is realistic. Another interesting connection I made recently is this. Have you ever seen flyers or ads about a Chinese traditional dance group called Shenyun? I've seen them around quite a bit here in the U.S., and I have heard rumors about them being a little weird. Not weird in performance, but their ties to Falun Gong. That's right, they are very closely affiliated to Falun Gong, and here are two opposite sides of the story. On the Falun Gong side, it states that to be able to master any kind of skill, it is important to work not just on your physical skills, but also your inner skills, be it mental or emotional. Many performers for Shen Yun are Falun Gong followers because in order to master the skill, they need to go through the kind of practice offered by Falun Gong. It is only through their spiritual meditation and practice are they able to achieve such skills to deliver outstanding dance performances. Their performances mainly consist of storytelling, such as historical events from China, but also the story of Falun Gong. In other words, Shen Yun is definitely a part of Falun Gong. As for the opposite side, as in the CCP side, they have declared Shen Yun as part of the cult that is Falun Gong. Their performances since 2004 have managed to manipulate and control people's perception, although not aggressively. Despite Sun Yun stating that they put culture and history above all, they are in fact a tool to denounce the CCP and brainwash others into believing that they are the victims, and that Falun Gong is harmless and worth pursuing. If Sun Yun is ever performing in your city, and if it's not going to kill your wallet, Maybe go take a look. I have never been, but I'm quite curious. Again, are they really a religion, a cult, or something else? It might depend on how you view religion. In an article published from the Falun Gong website, they make the distinction between organized religions such as Christianity or Islam and those that are not considered organized religion, or maybe even cults to some. While most religions preach about goodness, not every group will have someone that they pray to, or a religious building that they will go to, like churches or temples. They also pointed out that the concept of religion is a rather Western ideology, whereas a lot of religion in the East are generally more spiritual. I can kind of see where they're going with this. The word religion is not common in ancient Chinese history. It was created in the 19th century due to Western influences. But just because the word religion doesn't exist, it doesn't mean religion or the concept of religion never existed in the East. It was just in a different form, but due to globalization and colonization and all that, it all got lumped together. Due to this way of thinking, any religion that is not one of those recognized official religions, they are then considered something else entirely, or even a cult. All this is kind of a non-answer though, because the answer is, it depends. So in the end, it's a religion if you want it to be. What are your thoughts? So there you have it. 
a short and sweet introduction to a very large spiritual group from China, but no longer active in China due to the government's oppression. Do you find them to be more spiritual or more religious? I can see both sides for sure, and it wouldn't be impossible that they are quite religious but are not as open about it like other religions or cults out there, where they preach about the end of the world, how we will all burn in hell, etc. I have included the link to their website if you're curious to learn more, because learning more won't hurt you. Regardless of their stance and what they intend to do with their beliefs and teachings, I just hope it doesn't develop into some end-of-the-world bullshit with fear-mongering. Overall, they seem peaceful, and seeing that they're a group who have experienced what it's like to feel rejected and oppressed, hopefully they won't do that to others. Thank you for tuning in to this episode, and while I know it wasn't as crazy or intense as some of my other episodes, I feel like this is a huge topic that deserves to be talked about. Thank you for your time. And remember to be kind to others. Or you can follow Falun Gong Mantra of truthfulness, compassion, and forbearance. Till next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness Podcast. If you enjoyed my content, please rate and review me on iTunes. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or email me at asianmadnesspod at gmail.com. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.